The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am the host of the show. This is episode number 65, and it is good to be back. Last week, we took a little sabbatical with the social media fast going on. I didn't want to tempt anybody to check Facebook to, to see anything about our guest, and I didn't want to get on and do all the social media. I took the the fast right along with everyone else. And 10 days off of social media, I will just tell you, it was wonderful. Learned a lot about myself, and I'm grateful to be back on. And uh, we'll be fully supporting this episode, of course, and moving forward. But it was a wonderful experience and great to just take a week off. I will say that much, too. But boy, am I happy to be here. My guest this week, now all of my guests are special, no question. Every one of them has an incredible story to tell. But this week's guest maybe is a little more special to me than normal, because my guest this week is my own mother. Uh, My mom is an amazing person. Both my parents are incredible. Uh, But my mom grew up with such an amazing story that she's told us. I've heard little bits and pieces all my life. And so to sit down and talk about her childhood, trust me, you will be fascinated. It's an amazing story. And uh, this week in my Latter-day Life, I'm going to tell you all about a band that I absolutely love. They are coming in concert and why I have no intention whatsoever of going to see them. It's all coming up on this week's show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. So one of the great blessings of having a podcast is that uh, I occasionally get fans and I have messages from fans. And my guest today has been a fan of mine for 46 years now. That is that my guest is my own mother, Sue Rapier. Mom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sean. It's my privilege, and I'm your biggest fan. It's very funny to have my own mother here, uh, but I wanted to have my mom on. I had this thought a while back because my mom has a pretty amazing story to tell uh, about her life and especially her younger life. It's something that I've heard throughout my life, and I'm excited for you all to hear it. So, Mom, why don't we go way back? Not that uh, far back. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Way back within your life, uh, mm-hmm. let's go. Let's go back to the early, early days. Why don't you tell us uh, where you were born? Well, I like to say I'm British by birth and American by choice. And uh, it was after the war in 1947. My parents had been married for a couple of years. My dad had come back from the war in Africa. He was in the British Army Royal Engineers, Sergeant Raymond Lester. My mother, Frida, had been a nurse during the war. In fact, had been uh, given a commendation by the Queen, Mm. sent out by the Queen, because she was nursing what they called shell shock patients at that time from the Blitz. And uh, we call that PTSD today. Yeah. So, uh, where did your dad serve? <clears throat> my dad was in Africa and Egypt. Yeah. And uh, he's a wonderful artist and uh, journaled his days. And you recently uh, discovered that whole journal. He's got all kinds of cool stuff that he wrote and drew and yes. great pictures and all kinds of yes. things from his time there, huh? I'd like to share that on Facebook sometime. It w- that would be great. Um, <clears throat> he's a, a self taught artist. And uh, he's a Kodak award-winning photographer. Yeah. And uh, I have a lot of his artwork in my home. And your parents are, uh, your parents were very British. Dreadfully British. Yes, incredibly British. Thick, yes. Thick British accents. Yes. I, uh, growing up as a child, uh, <clears throat> one of the downsides of having grandparents overseas, I only got to meet them a few times, but I did get to spend a week with them in England, in the UK. Wasn't that great? Uh, It was so wonderful getting to spend time with them, but they were very funny people. 
Very dry. Yes, they are. Very the dry British humor. And very British, remarkably British. So, yes. So you were born in England. Yes. In fact, my parents owned what was called Lester's Pram Shop. So it was baby equipment. And they owned, they rented out the space, and we lived behind and above the shop. And in fact, that's where I was born, was upstairs in my parents' room. And I didn't know that. You weren't born in a hospital? No, I was born at home so I could be near my mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and born into a baby shop. That's pretty convenient. I had the best pram in town. Yeah, a pram being a stroller. Yes, uh, shortened for a perambulator. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. I knew a pram was a stroller. I didn't know why. <clears throat> That's why. And it was called Lester's because Lester is your maiden name. That's your, my your, maiden her, name. Your parents were Raymond and Frida Lester. Correct. Uh and so we lived there for a couple of years. Now, uh, England was in bad shape after the war, depleted. Uh, the economy was bad. People were without jobs. And um, there was a program called <clears throat> Assisted Passage, where a couple of the Commonwealth countries who needed immigrants after the war put out a program where you could pay about the equivalent of a hundred dollars, and they would uh, you would sign a paper that you would stay at least a year, and they would bring you to their country. And so my uh, my dad's sister, who is Dorothy, she and my uncle chose Australia and went to Perth, mm. and my father chose Canada, the Great White North. Why would he do that? I don't know. He had just spent 10 years in Africa. Did he ever tell you why he chose Canada? Do you know? Yes, I, but I only learned this um, just before he died. Yeah. The whole purpose of this whole thing was he wanted to live in the States. Mm. That's what it was all about. Well, you can't get in, you couldn't get into the States after the war as, as a Brit. So he looked on the list, and Canada had a shorter list. <laughs> and they wanted to get out of England anyway. <clears throat> My father was an entrepreneur, and nobody sponsors entrepreneurship like North America. Yeah. So uh, we chose, uh, he chose Canada. He froze to death. <laughs> he didn't have a job. He didn't have an education. He didn't have a career, but he is one of the best men I ever knew. Yeah. Full of integrity, uh, ready to work hard, do whatever it took to uh, raise a family. And so how old were you when you <clears throat> moved to Canada? I was two. Yeah. And mother said that I was the entertainment on the plane. And so we went out of... Um, London to Ireland, and then over to Toronto. And there was uh, an, an island in the Bay of Toronto called Centre Island. And that's where they were housing new immigrants mm. until we could get established. Now, they probably didn't have any money either. And uh, so we were in this tiny little apartment on Centre Island, and living next door to us, we met our dear friends, Margaret and David Laverock, and their daughter, Susan, who was, I was born March 3rd, and she was born April 6th. Mm. So she's the first friend I ever had in my life, and we've been friends for 71 years. How wonderful. It was great. Mother said we got by because we shared food with them. If they had an abundance of something, we'd have dinners together. Yeah. And... Um, my dad would take the ferry into Toronto for work or for interviewing or yeah. whatever it took. And then my sister Catherine was born. So how long did you stay in Toronto? Do you know, I don't have a, a sense of that because we lived, and this will become a common theme. <clears throat> yeah. We've lived many places, yep. but we lived in Scarborough Heights out, out of in, in the suburbs of Toronto, we lived in Sarnia, and these had to do with my dad's travel for his work. Yeah. And so, I, and I don't have a, a real distinct memory. I have a, a distinct memory of one home 
that we lived in when I was a little girl. What what part of Canada do you consider home when you really look back at <clears throat> at, at all that time? I'll say Calgary. Yeah. That's what I've always that's what I always tell people. Yes. My mom is from Calgary. Yep. Yeah. So and you were you were a Canadian citizen? Yes. I, full citizenship. My parents uh got us to be Canadian citizens. So I'm the oldest of four. My sister Kathy was born. Uh, she's almost two years younger than I am. And she doesn't let me forget it. Uh, and then uh, we went out to Edmonton, Alberta, for uh, a job interview for my dad. And we were moving there. And so yeah. he went to the interview, was in a hotel. They had a suite where they were interviewing people. And he was just casually standing in the hallway. And he was standing next to a man, and they were chatting about what they had been doing in the last little while. And this man said, well, I was a missionary in the East. And my dad said, really? I was in the East. I was in the East during the war. I was in Africa and Egypt. And he said, well, I was in Toronto. And, <laughs> and dad said, why, why would you go on a mission to... Christian people who already know about Jesus. Yeah. And he said, let me tell you more. So your parents were not members of the church. It's important no. our audience understands this. They knew Correct. nothing about the church at this time. Right. So here's, here's their introduction right there. Well, the interesting part, though, Sean, is that dad was born in Preston, England. Right. The River Ribble runs through that city, and that is where the first baptisms in the UK were performed. And my dad walked by it every day, but he knew nothing about the Church of Jesus Christ. And now there's a little monument there, actually. I took some photos uh, last time I was in Preston. There's a little monument that says, here is the site Mm -hmm. of the first baptisms in England for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Correct. And they have a temple there now. Oh, that's right. They do have a Preston Temple now. That that came after I was there. Yes. It's been uh, 30 years since I was there, but... Um, but so this is the introduction to the, the church for your Absolutely. dad. Absolutely, this is this changed everything. Yeah. So he us. says. So I, I went and and uh, served a mission in Toronto. Yeah. This is surprising to your dad. How does that lead him to becoming a member of the church? Well, we referred to this man as our uncle Al. His name was Alton Steele, and he opened his mouth and he and my dad said, well, "I'd like to know more about that." Why would they do that? And he said, listen, I have some young men who can help you know more about what I know. And dad said, I'm in. And he is a great student of the world. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's important to point out uh, that uh, my grandfather was one of the most inquisitive men I've ever met. I mean, he Mm -hmm. wanted to know he was a tinkerer. He liked to take things apart. He he would ask you deep questions like, why do you feel this way? Why do you believe this? He wanted to yeah. understand cultures. And and he was a very deep uh, man, but he, he was fascinated with the world and, yes. and with humanity. But uh, this leads down a, a pretty specific path. So how did that lead that question or that why did you serve a mission? Uh, how did that lead you to joining the church? Well, I would have been about four and Kathy would have been about two a year and a half or two years old. And dad tells it in the funniest way, because before he met with the missionaries, Uncle Al said, we're having a social at the church this Friday. Why don't you and, and Frida come? That would be fun. So we he got there, and it was an adult social. It was for the adults of the branch, but it was a, merry, a happy unbirthday to you. And so it was like a birthday party <laughs> for kids, in adult form. And dad said, I watched people in tricycle races. I watched people go around the back and drop a hanky. And he said, these people were having so much fun and showed so much love to one another and invited us right in. And I thought, how do they do that? They're not even drinking. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but they really enjoyed themselves. On Sunday, they went to church. He said, another could have been iffy was testimony meeting. And that, as we know, we have an opportunity to stand up and say what we believe. And it can be emotional, which my parents are not. And uh, again, stiff upper lip and British. Very British. Yep. Yeah, not not 
not showing an overabundance of uh, oh, no. emotion. No. Yeah. But the funny thing was, they took it all in and they loved it. And uh, these were cigarette smoking, tea drinking Brits. And when the missionaries started to teach them back in the day, and this was 70 years ago, back in the day, you went through missionary after missionary after missionary. We didn't have this, can we commit you to baptism thing mm. that we did on our mission and you did. Yeah. Uh, and so after a couple of discussions, especially about Joseph Smith, my dad said, looked at my mother and said, I'm in. And my mother said, I'm in. And they said, uh, okay, wait a minute. Now, <laughs> do you know what I'm in means? <laughs> yeah, do you know what, I, I mean, you're ready to be, you mean like baptized? And, and he said, yeah, I'm ready to join. Oh, uh, <laughs> they weren't quite sure. Oh, we're sure. not prepared for that. Anyway, <laughs> how to respond to that. They heard about the word of wisdom, which teaches us to be healthy in our bodies, and they went back. They went home and threw away their cigarettes, put the tea away, bought postum, and they were baptized. That was it. That, yep. was it. that was it. And when my dad says I'm in, yeah. he's all in. So this leads to an incredible life of service for yes. your parents. So you were you were four years old when all this happened? Yes. So you were raised in the church. You don't oh, remember yeah. not being in the church. I have no memory. Yeah. Yep. And then at some point along here, you have a couple of brothers who come along. Yes, my brother Brian, whose middle name is Joseph, mm -hmm. just after we joined the church. My mother was pregnant with him. <clears throat> and we barely made it to the Idaho Falls Temple to be sealed before he was born. How incredible. It was wonderful. That's a pretty long trek. Well, Cardston was closed. Yeah. So that takes you down to, uh, so you as a family were sealed in the Idaho Falls Idaho Temple. Idaho Falls Temple. I have just a little recollection of it in a white dress. I remember the, Kathy and I were in a white dress. How, how old were you when you moved to Calgary? I would have been 10. Yeah. 10. And that's kind of where your where your main formative time was. Yes. So tell us about the the church. This is uh, well. This is in the 1950s. Yes. Tell us about the church in the 1950s <clears throat> in Canada. You know, it was wonderful. Some big names in the church come from Southern Alberta. Of course, we joined the church in Edmonton. Our branch president was N. Eldon Tanner, mm, and wow. to our members. Uh, he went on to become a member of the first presidency of the church under President David O. McKay. Yeah, it's amazing. And so he was our branch president. He was my dad's first branch teaching companion and taught him the, the ropes of the church and how it runs and, and that sort of thing. What's a branch teaching companion? Well, we would call it a, a home teacher. Yeah. And that has now morphed, changed into ministering. Yeah. So he... He would be a ministering elder or ministering brother. I would be a ministering sister. So Ellen Eldon Tanner was your dad's companion. Yes. Took him out to meet the people in our that branch. That is amazing. I didn't know that. Oh, really? I, I'm oh. sure you told me and I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> well, you were six. Yeah. <clears throat> so Incredible. Then we moved, we moved back east uh, for a training time for my dad, and, and he made it his job to find our friends, the Lave Rocks, and <clears throat> teach them the gospel. And my friend Susan credits my dad with saving her family. So these people that you had met, basically, I mean... Immigrants. I don't want to call it an immigration camp, but for lack of a better term, like it was that. an immigration camp. I it mean, was. It was, that's where you guys were. Yep. And your dad went back and found them and taught them. And everything I can see from your... Your your mom as well, but your dad, so fired up about the church. Oh, he was just a firecracker. Yeah, he was all about it. Yep. So what jobs did he hold while you were in Canada? <clears throat> he was, uh, well, the main one I remember was called, um, I'll think of it in just a sec, but it was a frozen food plan where he sells you or his team sells you a deep freeze. We all had them in our basements. And then there was a plan where you bought so much a month, it was delivered and it went yeah. in your freezer. And it was home provisioners. Home provisioners. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so he was the national sales manager. So he traveled 
Canada, and mother held down the fort, just like I did when your dad traveled, and like Vanessa does when you travel. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and we had some good times. Uh, I remember uh, my parents' first house that they ever bought, and I think it was the only home they ever owned. Mm. And I was 12, and they had this little Rambler ranch, must have been tiny, one bathroom, had a basement, and my dad was so proud of that home. How far away was the chapel? Oh, we were a long way from a chapel because we were out in a new development. And, uh, you know, this is part of the story where I tell you that I walked to school uphill both ways in the (laughs) snow. (laughs) Well, you did go uh, in a lot of snow no matter where you were. Between no Calgary and Toronto. Do you know my mother couldn't drive in those days? She didn't learn to drive until I was 12 or 13 years old. Oh, I didn't old. know that. <clears throat> my dad had gone to England to do genealogy. He was way into it. And now we can pull it up on our phone. <clears throat> Pardon me. But he was gone for a couple of weeks, and my mother said, mm. okay, that's it. I am not calling one more person for a ride. And so my... I don't know why he said he would do it, but our friend's dad said, I'll teach you to drive. Oh, wow. It was so funny. After she got her license, she was driving us to church one day, and I was sitting in the front seat, and, you know, she's the seatbelt. She puts her arm out like this, and that's how you were saved. So I asked her a question. She said, stop talking. Can't you see I'm turning left? (laughs) (laughs) So it was. I mean, to have a, to have an activity, and and this is when you you went to church twice on Sunday. Yes, we did. Yeah, and of course we we just had general conference, changing things up again. Yes, it's going to be great. Two hour block, but I still remember. I am now old enough to remember when I was a kid, and we had this this schedule. So you had to drive quite a ways to go to sacrament meeting. Yes. And then did you go back home, or did you just stay near the chapel? Do you remember? Uh, we usually went home yeah. and had lunch. And then we would come back in the late afternoon or drive early all the evening. way back. Yep. It was quite a sacrifice. I mean... It was a great you know, sacrifice. We, we still have some you know, members of the church, especially maybe in the South or on the East Coast, who travel quite a ways yes. to go to their, to their chapel. Yeah. Here in Utah... And in the West, I would say, uh, Arizona, California, mm-hmm. we're all fairly spoiled. Most yes. places that you live, I mean, we live two doors up from you our chapel. We walk to church we every week. We walk to our church. Yeah. Even in snowstorms, we walk to church. We but, have family in Austin, though. They they have to travel over 30 minutes, I yeah. think 35 minutes. And they, uh, until January, they go at three in the afternoon. Yeah. And they don't leave the chapel till six. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's it's different in every part. But there in in Canada, that was pretty much the story for everyone then. Oh, absolutely. Nineteen fifties, right? Yes, we went to a chapel called the North Hill. It was the chapel on the North Hill, mm. and that's the the memory, the fond memory I have of yeah. the church in Calgary. Yeah, uh, and N. Eldon Tanner became our uh, stake president. Awesome, and his brother Leroy B. Tanner was the patriarch who gave me my my patriarchal blessing. Incredible. Yep. Did you did you always love the church while you were growing up? I always loved the church. It yeah. just has been my my rock and it's been a structure and a foundation for me. And you know we're all given some gifts. Yeah. And I think the gift of testimony was my gift. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so your what uh, what callings did your parents hold? Well, um, my dad became a seventy, and that mm. is the that was the missionary calling. Yeah, let's the explain church. the difference yes. between a seventy then and a seventy now, because yes. there were a lot of seventies then. Every stake had a group. Yeah, every there was a group called the the quorum of the seventies yes. or the seventies within that stake. Yes. So your dad was a seventy. Yes, yeah. and he was called on to be a missionary. In fact, they they called themselves the Minutemen because they could be called out at just a moment's notice. And I remember going downtown and seeing him conduct street meetings. And they would just, even in the cold, he wore a gorgeous uh, wool co- uh, coat and scarf and a fedora mm. and gloves. And he was an artist. So he made these 
uh, like a paper, and you could turn it over in the next thing. Like a f- giant flip chart. Yeah, like a flip chart. And so they would sing a hymn, and people would gather around, and then he would teach the first discussion in brief. Hmm. Awesome. Yep. So so you've got this life, everything's going <clears throat> along just smoothly. You're a Canadian. I am. Everything's great through and through, and all of a sudden you're a young teenager. Fourteen. Big, big change in your life. What happened when you were 14? This, you know, I mentioned when they joined the church, that changed everything. Yeah. This changed everything in my life. My dad announced to the four of us, my mother had a tissue like this. Uh, He announced that we were moving to Australia. Yeah. And you had no idea about this. Not, there had not been... I was so clueless. And you, you didn't have Australian family, nothing. There was nothing that would ever make you think, hey, we're going to go to Australia. We had point. family there, but I've never known them yeah. and didn't ever hear from them. It was my dad's sister, my Auntie Dory, and her husband. When we went to Canada, they went to Perth, Australia. And he went to visit them and came home and told my mother... This is paradise. We have to go there. It'll be, it'll just be so wonderful. Yeah. And my mother's like, yeah, no, I don't think so. But <laughs> but you packed up and... We did it. And very quickly. Yep, very quickly. They told us in May, and I was at the end of my eighth grade year. Oh, what a transitional time. What a it, difficult time to move. It is. Yep. And Disappointing. So, yeah. So that was hard. So what did you do when you went to Australia? You, I mean, it was four of you, four kids. Four kids. How did you get to Australia? My, I think my parents were trying to mitigate the, the big trauma of it. So we took a train out to Vancouver, stayed with our friends, the Laverocks, for a couple of days, got on a cruise ship, P&O Orient Line, and... Uh, was this like a fancy cruise ship like yeah, you'd expect? Yep. Except in those days, you had first class and no class. We, we were not in first class. <laughs> uh, and it, it was a three-week trip down to Sydney. And we, we left Vancouver. We went to San Francisco, Los Angeles, Honolulu, um, Fiji. These were all the stops along the way. All the stops along the way. So you must have way. been in heaven at this point. I mean, I know you didn't want to oh, leave Oh, yeah, we Canada. were just playing. But this is just a long vacation. Yeah, we were just players. All on your way to Australia. Yeah. We, in fact, it was the year was 61. And when we got to Honolulu, instead of going to Waikiki Beach, which the four of us wanted to go to, womp, womp, my dad decided to take us on a tour out to the North Shore to see the temple <laughs> in Hawaii. We got a firsthand tour of what the PCC was going to become. Oh, wow. They, were, they had the plans all drawn up, and we were given the first-class tour. And for our listeners, that's the Polynesian Cultural Center, what right. is now the Polynesian Cultural Center. So you got to yeah. see it early on. We did, and How they incredible. told us about all the students from all over the islands were going to come and participate and earn their way through BYU-Hawaii. That is awesome. Yeah, it was great. So you end up in Australia, though. Now, all of a sudden, you're Canadian in Australia. Yeah. How was that adjustment? It was so difficult and painful for me Yeah. Uh, for the first year. The reason I look back on and think is I was just a kid. Yeah. I was just a 14-year-old kid, you know, barely keep my room clean, Yeah. figure out what to wear the next day. Plus 14, I mean, you're a girl becoming a woman. Absolutely. That's a transit. That's a tough time for everyone. It is. Now all of a sudden you've been on a boat and you're in Australia. Yes. Yeah. After a week on an Italian freighter from Sydney to Perth, we were the only passengers besides the crew. So you were on a freighter. I was on a little Italian freighter. <laughs> How does that even happen? How do oh. you end up on an Italian freighter? Have you ever met your grandfather? I know. He's so creative. He sounds so much like grandpa. It is. Well, he didn't want to spend any more money than he had to, and the ship wasn't going down to Perth. And so... So the cruise ship got into Sydney. Sydney. How do you end up, though, on a freighter? Ta-ta. We, not only did we go on a freighter, we stayed in someone's little, tiny, smaller than an Airstream 
It's called a caravan in Australia. It's a little trailer. Someone had parked it for us on the grounds of the church. We used the showers and the kitchen in the church for 10 days till the freighter was leaving. Yes, Sydney. (laughs) Now, you've been to Sydney. Yeah. It's a world-class city today. Yeah, it's amazing. Back then? Oh, not so much. Really? It was beautiful and quaint because this is 1961. Yeah, now it's a now Sydney reminds me a lot of Los Angeles. I've oh, been a I few love times Sydney. Now. Yeah, it's a it's a big, beautiful city, amazing beaches and everything. Yes. But it wasn't then. No, it wasn't the big city. No, it was a fabulous place. Yeah. but I wasn't going anywhere. I was 14. Yeah, I, I went where my dad told me to go. Yeah, uh, and he took us into a store, a department store, <clears throat> no air conditioning. <laughs> and uh, but it was winter time because we went down in June, and we were looking around. I think somebody needed shoes or something, and I looked at all those clothes. Now, if you go to Sydney today, you might as well be at Macy's. Yeah, it's the big high fashion place now. E- everything is right up to date. But 1961. Take yourself back to 1951 in Canada, and that's what we had. And so mm. I felt very adrift. Um, my dad tried, but he's not really emotionally available all the time. Yeah. But I was walking around the store crying not to let anybody ever see me. And mm. I couldn't explain what I was feeling. So I just thought, get on with it and get to Perth. Yeah. So you make it into Perth, yep. which, by the way, if Sydney is not an up-to-date uh, oh. metropolis... Perth, which Perth is a beautiful, quaint it's place. It's a beautiful place. I mean, beautiful, but very, at this time, extremely rural. Very rural. What What was it that made him want to go to Perth? His his sister was there, and he had so visited. So it was just family. Yeah, he visited. Yeah. He loved it. We need to be there. We've got to go there. We have work to do. And, and what, what, what work did he do there? He was a sign painter. Yeah. And what they call in Australia a sign writer. Mm. And not with the vinyl and all the sticky stuff. He actually drew things on paper, used what's called a pouncing wheel, which is a little, um, like a a gear-looking thing, and you run it across, and it makes little holes. Then he took a charcoal, a bag of charcoal, and went over it, and that gave him his lines, and then he painted. He actually painted things. And what was the church like in Perth? Because you were you were fourteen to eighteen in Perth, what was the, what was the church like? It was fabulous. It was a branch. It never was a, a ward or a stake while we lived there. And yeah. this is why my dad had us get our patriarchal blessings before yeah. we went, because there wouldn't be a patriarch. And not to drop a name, but Bruce R. McConkie was our mission president. Oh, I didn't know that. And he would come twice a year, three times a year for conference. Awesome. And. But we were a branch that was so tight, and we had each other's back. Uh, We were all relatively new to the gospel. That, we came in 61, that branch had only been established in 57. Mm. Amazing. A beautiful little chapel. Yeah, great memories there, huh? Just down from the river, so we could walk down to the river. And you, uh, when you were in Perth, you weren't going to school? What were you doing in Perth? You know, this was uh, part of the transition that was so painful for me because I had just finished the eighth grade in yeah. Canada. And all I knew was how to be a schoolgirl. Besides which, I'm fairly smart. I was yep. a good student. Um, but my parents, being very British, took us to a British country. And you don't go on to school if you don't need the education. Mm. So if if you're going into the professions, the humanities, you go on to college, which they call uni, university. Yep. You go on, they shorten everything. Uh, so you go to uni. But my dad looked at me and said, are you going to be a doctor? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, <laughs> well, here's what we're going to do. You figure out what you'd like to do with your life, and I'll help you make it happen. And I said, I want to be 15. Yeah, you were know. 14 at the time. What a, <laughs> yes. what, a, what a crazy question. Well, if you grow up in that culture, yeah. you know ahead what you're going to do yeah. and <clears throat> how you can make it happen. But from my dad's point of view, school was over. So 
Kathy, my sister, and my brothers, Brian and David, were put into elementary school. It was a trauma for my sister because you had to wear a box pleated jumper and and, <laughs> and knee socks and big brown brogue shoes. And yeah. that was difficult for her. Well, this might be a good time to mention that my your sister, my dear sweet Aunt Kathy, doesn't exactly love the conformity of things uh, no. anyway. She's a free-spirited, <laughs> amazing, hilarious, wonderful, free-spirited woman. So yes, I'm, she is. I'm trying to imagine her being told, hey, here's what you're going to wear. Yeah, I'm sure every that day. Over, that went over really well. <laughs> she is the best, by she the way. She is Just the, the best. Just the most wonderful she's woman. She's my best friend. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, so uh, so you're in this time. So what did you end up doing? Um. Well, so dad said, well, what do you want to do? I thought, I, I don't know how to do anything. And my sister said, well, you always cut my hair and you always do mom's hair. Why don't you be a hairdresser? So I thought, well, that sounds pretty glamorous. Why don't I do that? <laughs> Except that they still had the feudal system coming out of Britain and you were indentured to a salon for five years as an oh apprentice, gosh. and you didn't go to school, you learned everything in the salon on the job. Yeah. So here I am, 14 and a half years old. My dad went into this fancy Italian salon and said, this gal would really like to be a hairdresser. And I was decent looking, but probably dorky, I don't know. And they said, okay, you have to wear a uniform. And we wore one uniform for half a year, and then at spring, we wore a different uniform. And so I, I got this dress with these buttons down the front. We had to wear white, like hospital shoes, yeah. and white hose. And I had to go on the train every day into Perth. So my dad drove me in the first time and said, this is where you get off the train, and this is how you get there. And we didn't have cell phones or anything back in the day. And I can remember being by myself, walking up Hay Street, which is the main street. And I got lost once. I had no idea where I was. Must have been scary. <clears throat> it was frightening. And I blame it on being left-handed, but I have no sense of direction. I think that's uh, in our DNA. Because I don't either. Oh. <laughs> I have none whatsoever. Oh, sorry. You inherited my side. That's Your dad right. can find his way anywhere. That's okay. But uh, I started working there. And for the first few months, all you do is clean hair traps and shampoo people's hair until your hands are raw and sweep hair. And I was the youngest apprentice. So it's my job to keep the, the break room clean. Now, these are ancient buildings yeah. that they've turned into something else. And half a half a um, story down on some stairs was the break room at the back. And it was very clean, very well run. So don't take it wrong. But we had cockroaches because it's summer in Australia. Summer in and Australia, we don't have just air nature. conditioning. Yeah. So before lunch, I had to go down and spray for cockroaches. And the stress had mounted in me for having to be on time, take a train, I had no money. They paid me the equivalent of five fifty a week, five dollars and fifty cents a week, and wow. out of that, I had to buy my train fare. Jeez. One day, I was spraying for cockroaches, and I sprayed accidentally sprayed into an outlet, and cockroaches just came flying out, and I, I didn't know what to do, and the tears started, and I couldn't stop them, but I wasn't sobbing. They were just coming down my eyes, and I couldn't speak, and I couldn't breathe. And mm. I, just I just stood there and went, <gasps> and finally someone was there and said, what is wrong? And I couldn't answer them. I was like catatonic. Finally, they called my dad, which horrified me, because you don't bother your dad in the middle yeah, of the well, day. Yeah, he's working. Sure. No, he's working. Yeah. He came and got me, and all the way home, he said, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Mm. I had no memory of this until about five years ago, that I was just out of it. I couldn't speak. I couldn't say anything. And my mother, being a nurse, put me to bed and nursed me for about a week. Mm. I always grew up knowing that 
you had a thing about birds or insects or anything flying at you. If it flaps at me. If I it sh- flaps at you. That, <laughs> I remember being in San Francisco one time and oh, the birds. The pigeons. The pigeons. There you were telling us, do not feed them because they would flap, flap by you and... And that's that's not good. Meanwhile, my sister and my mother just hold their hands out, and yeah. pigeons fly around them and land on them, and they yeah. feed them. So, so, so you have good and bad memories in Perth. That was my first year, uh, like a reentry. It was just yeah, hard, just very difficult. Yeah. Made more difficult by a couple of things. One. We lived out in an industrial area. My dad had to have a garage that was licensed to be a sign writing shop. Yeah. And so across the street was a factory. I ended up working in that office, but that was very difficult. Dad was trying to get us established, getting cash going. And and as it turns out, my mother was bipolar. Yeah. In the day, it was called manic depression. I had seen I had seen it all my life. You know, we'd wake up in the morning and mother would cleaned all the cupboards all night and had bread baking and made was singing and then about 2 weeks later we'd come home, her door was closed, it was dark and she was in her nightdress in bed because of the depression. And and she was truly debilitated, completely incapacitated by it. I'm the oldest of four, I'm the girl. And so it it kind of fell to me to keep things bridged and running and get my brothers ready for school. She she was high functioning, but we never kn- knew who we were getting. Yeah. And that's the hard thing. And all they had those days was Valium. Yeah, they didn't really know how to deal no, with this. No. He she took Valium one month and sat on the couch and looked at her feet. You know, because Tough. the poor thing. Yep. So you go through your teenage years, yep. you guys stayed active in the church and everything, yep. and then another, hey, hey time for... <laughs> oh, it must you, be six years now. If Let's you like the last change, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> guess what? If you enjoyed our last big move, time for an even bigger one. Oh, why, well, yes. And where did you go from Perth? Well, my dad said, how would you like to have your 20th birthday on the cruise ship? <laughs> <laughs> this time, however, it came all the way to Perth to yeah, get no, us. No Italian freighter this There'll time. There'll be no Italian freighter. Yeah. And so during my time in Perth, the best thing my dad did for me was send me to a business college where I learned I can take shorthand till today. Yeah. I'm a very fast typist. I love technology. Yeah. Growing up, you always typed up dad's notes. Yep. He would record them and, oh, and then you would type. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While feeding a child and yep. Yep. whatever. But so that was the best thing he did for me. Uh, I got on the ship. I had my 20th birthday on the ship. He... He finally got to come to America. That was his plan all his life, Yeah, was to come to America. Yeah, he always wanted to be in America. Where did you end up going? The funniest story. We ended up in Orange County in Fullerton. Yeah. And, um, of course, my sister and I had Australian accents, uh, which is what Dad always talks about. But we came in to Vancouver, and we had to stay somewhere for a month. Why would my parents leave us with people for a month while they bought a car and drove to Southern <laughs> This Shaw- all sounds so crazy, Mom. <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, it sounds like such an adventure. We are going to take a ship. We're going to go all the way to Vancouver. To Vancouver from Perth. Yes. Then we're going to, we? then we're going to dump our four kids <laughs> with someone for a month while we buy a car and drive down to California. No kidding. That's they did. My dad bought a car that had big wings on it. A big. He loved American cars. Oh yeah, a, he told me With the big wings that. on the back, you know, yeah. some some big thing that eats gas. They drove yeah. to Southern California, uh, met up with a couple of returned missionaries that we'd gotten to know. Yeah, and they helped them. And so, what what did he do in Southern California? He once again was a sign writer, yeah. and he did photography on the side. And how old were you when twenty? Yeah. And what was one of his main reasons for wanting to have you in in the in the United States? His his main stated purpose was so that we had an opportunity to be among young men 
of our our faith. Yeah. And uh, my goal all my life was to be married in the temple. Yeah. And I wanted a young man who could lead our family in that direction. Yeah. And so uh, how old were you when you got to Fullerton, to Orange County, California? <laughs> 20 years and two months. <laughs> 20 years. So you had your 20th birthday on a cruise ship. Oh, but guess what else? So they came back from California. They drove back <laughs> to Vancouver. I don't know. I don't make this stuff up. They drove back. My dad bought a truck to bring our stuff that we had <laughs> taken on the ship. Who I don't know, but anyway, oh, I, uh, love it. I had stayed in Edmonton. I started working for Kelly Services. I yeah. worked for them over my life forty years. I yeah. worked for Kelly Services. Yeah. Uh, so I went to Edmonton and stayed with Uncle Al and yep. Aunt Geraldine. The kids stayed with our friends, the Laverocks. Now the funny thing is, I drove a car with my mother and two kids. Dad took one kid. He usually took one of the boys, one of the brothers. Yeah. I drove this huge car. It was a land yacht. <laughs> and my mother was terrified because of all the big cars on the freeway. Yeah. And it was only 1967. Yeah. And here's a funny thing. My mother, very British, she saw a place that looked like an eating place, and she said, Oh, Taco Bell. <laughs> I wonder what a taco is. The other thing was we saw a McDonald's. A taco Bell. Yeah, Taco Bell. We saw a McDonald's, and it had the arches, and it said 15,000 sold. And we thought, those must be great burgers. We didn't know anything about franchises. Yeah. So we're in these little towns. So you thought it was one shop had yeah. sold 15,000 burgers. Wow. Then we get to the next town. It looks just the same, and they've sold 15,000 <laughs> These burgers. McDonald's places sell a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, my dad signed us up to stay in a motel. He got uh, half price because they were painting the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and one time, he took off from a place we had eaten dinner, and we were driving into the evening. And I couldn't get the car started. I didn't know what was wrong with it, and it was a stick. Well, it wasn't in park. Oh. And I couldn't get it started, but Dad had gone already. Yeah, so you're stuck. No phones, no nothing. You know what? The owners of the uh, of the restaurant called the police. They thought Dad had abandoned us. Oh, no. Yeah. So anyway, we all got together. We got adventure. to Fullerton. Mm -hmm. You ended up uh, meeting my father, yes. Jerry, and yep. you guys got married pretty quickly. Yep. We met in June yeah. of 67. And we were yeah. married in January of 68. And then my brother and I, I was uh, i was born in Fullerton. Yep. And you ended up having four kids. And how long have you and dad been married now? We've now been married 50 and a half years. 50 and a half years. So yes. all this, I mean, look, you, when, you, when I look back at your story and I look at going from <laughs> England to Canada to Australia to yep. the U.S. By the way, it'd make a fantastic movie, your life story. And then uh, that's right. You, you know up, some directors. You <laughs> know some people who make movies. So, uh, which and then that led to us growing up in the gospel. You ended up yes. raising a family uh, all in the church. Now, your parents to kind of uh, put in, put an end to the story. Everybody right. kind of split at that point. Your two brothers went to Australia. Yes, with my parents. With your parents after six years. Yeah. Yep. Five they or had, six they years. Had a thing about six years. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dad then announced that uh, they were going to move back to Australia, this time to Adelaide. And uh, he had friends there, and he went there and opened a photography studio. Which was always his dream. It was his dream. his own studio. Yes. And he took our brothers. At a time, I have to say, uh, my oldest brother, Brian, was preparing for a mission. He was thinking about it. He was talking to your dad about it. And uh, and then my dad announced they were going back to Australia, and the mission never happened. Yeah. So so your sister and your brothers, um, your sister stayed here in the U.S. Yes. Your brothers and your parents went to Australia, mm -hmm. and one by one, 
decided not to stay active in the church, including That's your correct. parents. Including my parents broke my after heart. After all of that. Yep. Yeah. They were the finest Christian people yeah. uh, you would ever know. They they uh, sponsored an entire family in Sri Lanka for five years so the mom could go to nursing school. Yeah, incredible Things like people. that. Oh, much service. Did they ever share with you why they chose to leave the church? They did. Uh, it became a personal thing. Yeah. And my dad felt offended. And this was something, as a branch president, which is like a bishop of a small, yeah. he was a branch president for five years. He preached against that. He was Keep your the eye. branch president, the bishop, yes. for lack yes. of a better term, of Correct. the branch there in Adelaide. Five years out of six. Yeah. And he preached it. Re- be careful. Keep your eye on the Savior. Stay true. But he saw some things that he disagreed with. Yeah. Through leadership, you know, and we don't we don't know what happens behind closed doors, but it bothered them, and they they then left Adelaide and and retired in back to England. Yeah, yeah, they moved back to England. Yep, they actually became uh, a little bit hostile toward the church, which is sad. Yes, they had quite negative feelings toward the church. They did, which which just, is just tragic. Yep, you know, after all that work. But I look at the legacy they left with you. Absolutely. And now you have been married for 50 years and have raised four children. Yes. Me being one of them. <laughs> we made <laughs> it, I, Sean. <laughs> and I have been married for 24 years and have raised seven children. And it's an amazing legacy. And I, I would just say their sacrifices will not go unnoticed in no. the next life. And I also would say that... I can't imagine the things they saw during the war. The more that I study, which I love studying England and Churchill and that whole time. Yes. England was such an anomaly in Europe in that it was kind of part of Europe, kind of not. It was a very strong power, but it was tiny. There was a lot going on to the east and to the west of it. And the things that your parents must have seen and gone through but I am so grateful for them. Listen, Sean, there are not better people who have graced no. this earth. I love my parents. And this this is just an open conversation with no criticism. Yeah. And um, Amazing people. Oh, I, I don't know. I can't tell you what dad saw. But my mother was in the Blitz. She yeah. was in a hospital in the Blitz and blown out of her chair. She saw people coming in without limbs. Oh, she saw people coming in. They cried in the night. Yeah. This is what bothered her. And she stayed through the night. She wouldn't go down into and the she tunnels. she heard the sirens and the alarms. And Remember, she could never uh, see fireworks. Yeah. She couldn't do it. Yeah. It's amazing what people go through. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. And you're awesome. And thank thank you. you, Mom. It's such a neat story. And I'm so grateful you got to share it with our listeners. I've grown up hearing bits and pieces, but it's fun to hear it all put together like this. It's an amazing experience. And the fact that you, I just think you're their legacy, you know, and of course, uh, Brian and David and uh, Kathy are such wonderful, amazing people. people. But it's interesting, you know, I look at, you know, uh, so many of my friends here in Utah, and they talk about all of their cousins. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Interestingly (laughs) enough. I'm so sorry, Sean. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I have really, I mean, full cousins. I have four total full cousins, you know. I mean, I've I've basically got Carly and, and Kim and Michael and Cindy. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, And now Draven. And, well, Michael. And, yeah, that's right. No. And, that's and right. Michael. I have, yes. I have, between my mom's dad, my mom's side and my dad's <laughs> side, I have four first cousins. That's pitiful. <laughs> Because uh, that's more cousins than I have. Because Brian and David uh, never had children. They did not have children. Neither of them ended up having children. Kathy had two children. So I, yep. and then uh, on dad's side, I have two cousins. So <laughs> yeah. I have four total first cousins. So there were four of us two and aunties and two uncles. Yeah. And, and, uh, and uh, where are Brian and David now? Brian is in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. We call it KL. Yeah. And he is married to a Malaysian girl. Yep. He has the best life. Yeah, he's, we, <laughs> he's international playboy. He His is. life is. Yeah. Yeah. And he has coached uh, international basketball yes. teams and 
just a world traveler. In yeah. Dubai and yep. in Thailand. United Emir- uh, Arab Emirates. Yep. And yep. we always say, how do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> and David? David is in Sydney. Yeah. And semi-retired. Yep. And uh, the manager of the Lawn Bowls Association for Old People. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also... Is that so, just David? Just so funny. Yeah. yeah. And Grandma and Grandpa, of course, passed away a few years ago. Yes. Uh, grandpa first and and then grandma. I love their story and I love your story Thank because you. it's just, it's so just life and life affirming, but it's also a great cautionary tale Yes, to watch because when I look back and I, I look through grandpa's papers and I look at the stories that you tell, uh, so firm. Oh. So firm in the gospel. Yep. Uh, but what a legacy they left, and what a story. Yes. Every few years, just here we go. And <laughs> yeah. it's it's wonderful. Well, Mom, you've been such an inspiration to so many. Thank and you, you are the ultimate example of holding to the rod. Thank I mean, you. you and Dad. And uh, let's, before I ask you the final question, going full circle as you saw that temple when you were so young, tell us uh, what you did a few years ago in Hawaii. A moment in time, we served a mission on the big island of Hawaii, and uh, we were on the Kona side, north end of the island, and we were in the Kohala ward for 18 months. Yeah. And we loved it. We baptized, we counseled marriages, we counseled finances, we counseled a girl on meth and helped her get off through the LDS 12-step program. We drove people to the hospital. We visited the sick. Awesome. And we loved it. So from having been a little girl on another island in Hawaii, you ended up in Hawaii serving the people there. How blessed, eh? What a blessed life, Mom. Well, you know the final question because you've listened to the podcast. Yep. And that's Sue Rapier. What does being a member of the church mean to you? Sean, it's everything to me. It is a privilege to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It has been my privilege to grow up and to know my Savior. And when times were tough, and they were, I always knew in my heart that the Savior had my back, and that He knew me, He knows my name. And that was so important to me, to, uh, to grow up in a family where people didn't really communicate too much. I knew they knew I was there, but I know that God knows I'm here. And so it has meant everything. The framework of my life is the gospel. And it is, it's in every part of my life. And it's important to me. It was important to me to raise my children that way. And what stellar children I have. All of you have grown up to be the finest, kindest, hardest working people. And I am privileged and blessed to be your mom. Well, I'll tell you, the thing that I'm so grateful for is that throughout my life, it's the one thing I've been able to lean on. I have never, ever seen you or dad waver, and that has been a testimony for me. Yep. So world world traveler. <laughs> Accidental tourist. <laughs> I was going to say, not always willingly, but, uh, <laughs> but certainly citizen of the world, mother, and amazing servant of God. Mom, thank you for sharing your Latter-day life with us. Thank you for asking me. I love you, Sean. Love you too, Mom. Special thanks to my dear sweet mother, Susan Rapier, for coming on. At some point, I'll have to have my dad on also, because he's also got a great story. Uh, But I wanted to share that about uh, my mom's life growing up, and I just love her and love the person that I am because of her. All the good that I am is because of my parents. They raised me the right way, and uh, I just am so grateful uh, for them and grateful to share my mom's story with all of you. Uh, that actually ties in a little bit, my mom does, with this week's uh, What's Happening in My Latter-day Life. Uh, we are going on vacation this weekend. Uh, actually, as of the time of uh, the airing of the podcast, we're on vacation. It's fall break um, in Utah. And we're actually going out to California. We're going to go to Disneyland for a day, spend a couple days at the beach. And we really 
didn't have a, a great plan for this. We know we knew we were going to go to Disneyland, but we weren't sure what else we were going to do. And we were kind of talking about it. And should we drive? Should we fly? And and I always I love live music. I just love going to concerts. It's one of my favorite things. And when I can go with my wife and my kids, it's the best. And I happened to see one of my favorite bands from the '80s is going to be in Las Vegas. And I thought, you know what? Maybe if we drive and. I thought that it was going to be on uh, Monday night when I first read it. I thought, Monday night, maybe we could go see them, get up early Tuesday and drive home, whatever. We're going to work it out. But uh, I got really excited to see them because you drive right through Vegas if you drive. And then I rechecked the date and it turns out they were playing on a Sunday. And that was an instant no for me. I'm not going to go see them on a Sunday. And I was a little bit like, oh, that's too bad. But I never had a second thought about seeing them on a Sunday. So anyway, we changed plans. We're going to fly out and have a good time. I want to share why that was such an instant no, because I'm sure that there are many of us who see, you know, sporting events or concerts or whatever and immediately think I'm not going to go. Some people do. Of course, the Sabbath is for each of us to figure out, but I want to tell you a little backstory about my mom and why going to a concert is a non-starter for me. I was uh, 19 years old, getting ready to go on a mission, and concerts have always been one of my great passions, and one of my favorite bands was coming to town. I knew it would be the last time I saw them before my mission. I had seen them before, but man, I wanted to go, and they were coming on a Sunday night. And so my friends and I bought tickets and I thought, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just go. And and this was not a concert like chamber music or choir music at all. Trust me. This was a raucous rock and roll show. And uh, so we bought tickets and we were going to go. And, and on on uh, on Sunday when, when uh, we were getting ready, I told my mom we were going to go to this concert. My mom said, oh, hmm. And moms are good at that, right? I mean, like, moms are good at making you know what they're thinking. And I said, what? What's wrong with that? And my mom said, nothing. I'm just surprised. You know, you're preparing for your mission. And, uh, you know, I'm surprised you would choose to go to a concert like that on a Sunday night. And I said, well, I don't care. I'm going, mom. I'm going. She said, well, that's your agency. You can do whatever you want. Go ahead and go. And so I took off with my friends, and I had been to many concerts on Sunday nights before. My parents gave me my agency, and and so we all went. And when I got there, here's one of my favorite bands of all time. I'm with some of my best friends, and I felt horrible. I kept thinking of my mom and thinking of her face with the surprised look of, oh, hmm, I didn't expect that. And while, yes, the Sabbath is course, extremely important. And that's why my mom really didn't want me to go. The fact that I was disappointing my mother, for some reason, struck me even deeper. And maybe that sounds wrong. But all I could picture was her face and the disappointment in her eyes. And that night I had the most miserable time at that concert. It was horrible. And I got home and I went to bed and the next morning I got up and my mom was having breakfast and she said, oh, good morning. How was the concert? And I looked at her and I said, mom, I promise you, as long as I live, that I will never, ever go to a an inappropriate concert for a Sunday on a Sunday night again. I put that caveat in there because I've been to see the Mormon Tabernacle Choir on Sundays before. But I said, I'll never go to a concert on a Sunday ever again, Mom. It was miserable, and I'm sorry, and I will never do it again as long as I live. And I made my mom that promise. And since then, there have been tremendous bands that have come through over the past 27 years, many cool bands. But I will not go and I won't go because I made a promise to my mother because I don't want to disappoint her or my father or my heavenly father. I want to do the right things. Mothers have tremendous impact in the lives of their children. And I know my mom has. And so for that reason, boy, I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic concert. I just will not be there this week. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, If you enjoy the show and you want to support us, uh, a couple things. First of all, If you could just share it with friends, it would be awesome. Just a quick Facebook post. Here's a show I enjoy. 
Or if you can review us, and by the way, we've gotten some wonderful reviews lately. I think next week I'll share a few of them. Thank you so much, especially on Apple Podcasts. That's what kind of controls the whole podcast world. It helps us to show up uh, when people are searching for really good content. So thank you. Uh, And then just listening and uh, checking in with us on social media helps us out a ton. We really appreciate it. I've also gotten some really amazing letters lately and some emails. Thank you so much. You know who you are. We've been corresponding back and forth. And uh, I really, sometimes it takes me a few days but I really appreciate all of you. So until next week, when we have another fantastic episode for you, please remember that there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. 